0: You're listening to The Great Since 68 Podcast, the dedicated Birmingham City women's audio show bringing you the latest news and interviews from the club. Enjoy the show. Welcome to The Great Since 68 Podcast, it is episode 51. I hope you've enjoyed the FA Cup special which came out last week. We've got some more special guests today, but first, Chris.
1: Chris, how have you been? Uh, Not too bad, thank you, Craig. Yourself?
0: Yeah, not too bad. Hopefully the Chelsea result didn't go too badly, given away that we're recording before the Chelsea game, but nonetheless...
1: I thought we were superb and fully deserved our 4-0 win. Yeah, Yeah, I
0: mean, mean, when Kirby got sent off, it was... Sensational stuff. (laughs) Without further ado, I'll introduce our guests for this evening. First of all, it's a returning guest to the show. We have a women's football writer who has also finds time to work for Sheffield United as media officer for their women's team and developmental squads. It is, of course, Rich Laverty. How have you been, Rich? I've been very good, Craig.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back on. Enjoyed the last-minute winner against Chelsea at the weekend. Brilliant.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And our other guest tonight is a women's football writer for The Guardian, and is also a level one football coach. It is a pleasure to have Susie Rack on the show. How have you been, Susie? Yeah,
3: not too bad, thanks, Craig.
0: We'll start with giving you a question, Rich. It's obviously a lot different when covering Sheffield United. You get more access than a typical writer and likely privy to more information and news. Is it hard to resist the urges to report on things you when your hands are tied?
2: It's not been much of a blessing lately, to be honest, with what's going on. At Sheffield United, but
1: no, not really.
2: Um, I found it quite easy, to be honest, to navigate between the two roles. Even recently, obviously, with what has gone on after the Tottenham match, you know, I've kind of I haven't been too involved. You know, I'm with the club on match days, and after that, it's sort of been handled with the club. But to be honest with you, you know, national media are not going to be too interested in Sheffield United in terms of transfers and, you know, generally game-to-game, game kind of how we're doing. Um, so, no, it's not been too bad, really, enjoying it. It's an interesting insight, obviously, in terms of travelling with the team and you're staying over with the team. You're eating with, you know, it's a completely different world from, from being a writer. So, it's it's strange. It took a bit of getting used to. Um, like, being at Man City the other week, obviously, somewhere I've been going for four years and suddenly, you know, you're in the changing rooms and you're in the tunnel before the match and, and things like that. It's uh, It's a completely different look at the the sport, but no, apart from that, it's
0: been all good. We covered what journalists are involved on a typical match day last time, but uh, Rich, you have have done work for the FAWSL website in the past. Is the process different for that than what a traditional match report would be?
2: With the WSL, it's pretty uh, pretty standard to what Molly said in terms of we, we go to games, we prepare, we research, we get there a few hours in advance. And then, yeah, it's sort of during the game, if you're doing an on the whistle, which for the WSL it you you'd be keeping a close line. It's quite difficult when it gets to the last 10, 15 minutes and you're trying to write things and, and write your report and you can't actually watch what's going on a lot of the time. But, you know, last week when I was at the two Comedy Cup matches, I was doing sort of more featurey pieces with the managers. You can relax a bit more, enjoy the game, analyse it and then just get what you need afterwards. It differs for me a little bit. It's differed a lot this season with Sheffield United because I'm working for the club so I'm in charge of the club's social media and, and what we put on Twitter and Instagram and things like that and our own website so it's changed a little bit but match days are pretty standard for me in terms of pretty similar to what Molly said.
0: Susie, you've had the chance to visit various grounds over your time covering the sport. What is your opinion on the level of facilities available in the WSL at the moment and what essentials do journalists need to get their job done?
3: (laughs) It's a a good question. It's a real mixed bag. Um, It varies massively um, ground to ground Um, and it's actually something we were talking about with the FA the other day who are actually meeting with us fairly regularly uh, to discuss the improvements that are needed to make our, our kind of working life at grounds a little bit easier um one of the biggest things for me is having a desk is so crucial um at West Ham you uh don't get allocated to desk they have four desk seats and they don't allocate them and so you've either got to, try to swap a ticket before the game it took me 45 minutes last time or you've got to um just sit in the stands and go on your lap and kind of go. pop down to one of those desks and hope you get a seat uh Lewis another one the desks are all a bit broken so you've got to kind of well, last time I, I used my um, the lanyard of my uh, of my work pass to tie the desk in position um, very precariously so it wouldn't like flip my laptop across across the ground. Um, and Wi-Fi is another one. Uh, passwords, uh, getting a hold of them at Arsenal it was um, a little scrap of paper handed around a packed press box. Not everyone got a table seat for that. Um, and then access to the managers at the end of the game and getting them kind of sharpish is, is very difficult as uh, one manager who um, basically likes to do a warm down on the pitch force comes to be suppressed and that's a big issue, especially if you're on deadline. Um, and it's just kind of breaking through the idea that we're, we're, we're not fans, we're there, we're doing a job and we need just a couple of minutes of their time so that we can transcribe and get things written up when, when we're on tight deadlines and things like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you have to get somewhere off, uh, you've got to try and uh, get travel and it's already booked and stuff, you've got to get off sharply, so I can understand that.
1: Exactly. Just a quick question, Susie, sorry. You mentioned there, you know, when obviously us as Blues fans, we see you know every other team come to Blues every other week. We see teams twice a week, so you and Rich would know better. But do you think there's um the people within the clubs at the moment are still seeing the media as a bit of a nuisance rather than, Rather than trying to help improve the professionalism of the game and the interest in the game,
3: I wouldn't necessarily say a nuisance, but more don't really necessarily see the the role the media can play in helping grow the game. I think there's there's a fantastic book by uh, Roger Domengetti, a, a journalist in the North East. His book charts the rise of football journalism and its relationship with with the sport, men's football, and uh, and it it kind of Charts the history of it as a, a and explains how it's a, a very kind of mutual relationship that that football has been as reliant on the media to grow as the media sports media has been reliant on football to grow to the kind of size it is. And I think there's a, a lack of understanding about how that that relationship can be really beneficial to uh, to women's football as well. A little bit of knowledge that that you know we can play an important role in helping helping publicize and and grow the game would would be helpful it's a work in
0: progress moving on to investigative journalism then Susie you've had some high-profile cases this year of, of stories of allegations of sexual and physical abuse to do with the Afghanistan FA it obviously takes a lot of um work to look into these sorts of stories and 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 get sources and double check and those sorts of things could you just briefly run through um th- those sorts of things that you have to do on a weekly or a monthly basis
3: well the main thing is just kind of keeping your ear to the ground but also trying to build up as many contacts as you can so that when those stories arise you've got the right people to go through i mean i spoke to shabnan the captain of the team, back in march february march time last year so i already had a relationship with her so when they started kind of out these uh a few of them started putting out these tweets about the contracts uh they were being off to sign and how they would be kicked off the team as a result uh I already I, you know it's very easy for me to make the connection with with them and you know they've read what I've written they kind of they trust me they know me um so that's that's really important um then it was just about getting to the bottom of it and and you know one of the hardest parts is None of them really wanted to come out and necessarily say what was happening straight away, and so it was kind of you know, you could tell that there was more to it. Um, and eventually they kind of passed me on to someone who was willing to say it, or you know, they they wanted it to come out, they, they weren't trying to hide it, they just weren't sure how to the best way to explain it, or even how you know, I couldn't really articulate it in, in the way that they wanted it to. Um, and eventually I passed me on to the coach Kelly Lindsay, who uh, who kind of went into a lot of detail on it and was able to link me up with Palida who um, who had uh, kind of been involved from the beginning. And, and so, yeah, it's it's really about kind of keeping your ear to the ground of what's going on but having the contact there in the first place that I mean, you've you already got those connections, you know, because if you go in as someone they don't know, it's, it's it's a lot harder to win the trust than if you go in there having already built a relationship with them previously.
0: Rich, when we were talking about um investigative journalism and in the last show uh we we didn't touch on we didn't have a chance to touch on this is um the finances in, in terms of clubs obviously the high profile case was not counting in the past that, that they managed to hide the how bad it was in the men's finances until it got to the point where they it, it got out there um do you do you think there needs to be more investigative um looking into the finances of clubs who continue to hide or well, not hide but Prevent you from distinguishing between the women's spending and the men's spending in the in the league, and the potential downside of that is potentially clubs could go out of business without anyone knowing because uh, history could repeat itself.
2: Possibly, but you know it's not generally the kind of information that would be put in the public domain. I mean, you can look at the the financial records of most women's clubs on the on the government website. You can look at the sort of yearly spend for that season, what's incoming, what's outgoing, have they made a profit, have they made a loss, and it's a difficult one, I mean, you know, clubs don't want that kind of information out there, obviously, and, you know, sometimes you don't know which way it's even going to go till the end, you know, Nots County were in, obviously, a lot of trouble, enough trouble that they decided that the women's team wasn't viable enough at that time, but that was only decided 24 hours before the spring series started, and with Donny Bell's I think with Donnie it had been pretty, you know, public knowledge for a while that they were struggling um, financially and, and we didn't know which way it was going to go until we restructured. So I can understand people wanting more information and wanting to know about clubs' finances, but I think when you're dealing with things like that, it's a little bit more difficult than obviously general news stories, transfers, you know, what's it, when people want to speak to you, know, when people want to put things out there, clubs don't want you know to to let you know how bad the finances are etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's a difficult one i think maybe yes maybe no but um i don't see that aspect in terms of finances and what's public and what isn't i don't see that changing a huge amount
3: like another thing is the men's club could be financially okay enough to be able to have a functioning women's team but they may choose to prioritize that money elsewhere so it's very hard to tell whether they're actually in enough of a crisis to want to get rid of the women's team because a lot of the men's teams live in debt. So it's just at their whim as to whether they they keep a women's team or not. And it's, yeah, it's very difficult to tell whether, whether the will is there or not.
0: Absolutely. We'll now take a quick look at your careers so far. Rich, we'll start with you. We spoke to Rich for an English special uh, a while back, which I touched on how he got started. So we'll uh, check that one out. I can't remember what the number is off the top of my head, but I'll I'll I'll, li- I'll link it at some point. Rich, we can't resist asking you another question though. How did the approach come about from Sheffield to have you join their media team?
2: Well, I think I was just speaking to speaking to Carla. I've known Carla a while. Obviously, I've not covered Sheffield FC, and and she'd moved off to Sheffield United, and we were just chatting one day about their bid and, you know, they were quite hopeful of getting into the second tier and you know, they mentioned they would need someone to do sort of match matchday media and things and I was looking at branching out into different options because I think to work at a football club, you know, probably as a football fan growing up, you know, it's something you'd love to do and it gave me another kind of insight into what football is like and what women's football is like and It was quite informal, really. I mean, once they got... I mean, I was actually there on the day because it was the playoff final at Bramall Lane and I was actually quite lucky to be up in the boardroom afterwards with Wardy and and some of the staff. And, yeah, finding out that they'd got sort of accepted and there was a few cloak and daggers things coming on. You know, people didn't really know what was going on. Wardy got called in for a meeting and some of the other staff didn't know what was going on. Players weren't really sure. And I had to leave at that point, but I did find out pretty soon after they'd been accepted and then that was it really you know what said you know we'd like you to do it and I got asked to do the academy teams as well and it went from there really there wasn't a, a massive formal kind of sit down interview or anything it was kind of just a few months worth of chit chat and um, yeah eventually just sort of deciding it was uh, something I'd like to try.
0: And what have you enjoyed most about covering women's football so far?
2: What, in terms of Sheffield United or just in general?
0: In, in general, but it can, it can be Sheffield United if you wish.
2: Yeah, I think I think I put this on Twitter yesterday when someone asked me about what I was most looking forward to and it's the unpredictability because there is something different every single day, um, whether it is a transfer, whether it's a new story, whether it's a game, whether it's a squad announcement, uh, a cup draw, you know, there's always things going on. And I think from my point of view, it's just... You know, we've had so many news stories this year already of only two weeks in and the games are coming thick and fast, you get to the end of the season, you've got big cup games, cup finals, Champions League, league deciders and then you know when it ends you've got a World Cup and then when the World Cup ends you go back into the season again. So it's just this one big merry-go-round of um, always something to look forward to. So I think from my point of view it's just pretty
1: much the day-to-day aspect of how sport can change so quickly. And the, obviously the general interaction with women's football fans on Twitter as well.
0: Some. Mm. Some <laughs> <laughs> not so much, Chris. <laughs> uh, going on to Susie, I know you've been writing since before this season, Susie, but it seems mm. you've gotten greater exposure this season maybe than previous seasons. Would that be fair to say?
3: I, I would say that. I mean, I think I, I've gone to more games. The Guardian up their commitment massively to uh, uh, to the coverage. You know, they've got me going to... Um, a game every week or more depending on uh, what is on um, they've got Ennio Lucoin in writing a, her column which isn't necessarily always on women's football with touches on it um, they've got uh, Rachel Finnes Brown doing talking points every week and they've got Louise Taylor who has always uh, done some England stuff so they've massively upped their commitment this season which is obviously a really good thing and good for me because it's up my workload massively um, they had started getting me to games uh, a, like, a bit towards the end of last season. But um, yeah, this season it, it has yeah kind of really taken a leap on.
0: Uh, reading your column pieces as well as your other pieces, you, we can all see there's real talent there. But how did you start covering women's football in the first place?
3: So I always had an interest in football. Um, I've always followed Arsenal. When I was a kid, Arsenal ladies actually leaflet in my council estate saying that they were training in Shoreditch Park, um like, like four or five, something like that, um, and asking uh, people from the estate to come and watch them every Saturday or Sunday. Me and my dad were the only two that went across and sat on a bench and I kicked a ball and watched them train and my dad read the newspaper. So I've always followed women's football. Um You know, when I uh, was at Parade, when Arsenal won the double in 98 and in 2003 I was there watching the men's team on the top of the bus and the women's team on top of the bus and I, I'd be writing a little bit for fanzine, like sad fanzine and uh, I uh, had a letter in the gula when I was like quite young and then I'd kind of be writing a bit for the modern staff um, and I was working there as sub-editor and they picked up on that so they had me uh, doing some shifts on the sports desk um and then from there i kind of started doing shifts at the guardian trinity mirror a bit with sunday Times, doing various things subbing layout you name it digital design and i was working on the guardian sports desk for over a year and a half when anna kessel would be reading the stuff i'd be writing for the morning start at the same time so when uh owen gibson who was then the head of sport uh, asked her to recommend someone uh, to write on women's football regularly. She recommended me, I went and had a chat, and it, it kind of it kind of went from there. It was the plan was it would be reviewed after a few months to see how it was going and whether they could you know afford to keep it up and things. But we never had that conversation because it, it just did so well for the off, which was obviously brilliant.
0: Absolutely. And what story would you say has been the most impactful to date?
3: Oh, definitely the Afghanistan. Um, I think that's uh, is a is a really. Like proud story to work on for me because I, you know, I think that the level of trust involved um, was massive. Being trusted to tell their stories, uh, you know, quite so graphically and brutally, um, was a massive privilege. Uh, but also that it, it, it has the potential to have uh, a real impact in the country. You know, obviously the president, as the president of federation, has been suspended by FIFA, but he's also been suspended by the attorney general of the country alongside uh, five other uh, members of staff um and there are investigations ongoing and it's it's you know really satisfying to see that journalism can make meaningful impactful change uh which i think you know that's why i like it so much is that you know it has a lot of power and a lot of power to do good and actually help things grow but also make things better uh where where they're particularly bad so yeah that definitely is, is the story for me
0: yeah absolutely and you get to bring uh, stories to to life that perhaps people wouldn't have known about, like the one this week. Obviously, Annie Zaidi, who's uh, who's become the new Solihull uh, Moors Ladies manager. Obviously, she's got a great story, and uh, for for a club that's in the local area, for the Birmingham City fans, it might not be their team, but it's in the area, so it might be interested to briefly, Susie, just to talk about this story with us. Yeah, um,
3: I mean, I followed Annie for quite a while. She i'm a member of women in football she's a member of women in football and um her journey has been quite well publicized she's really modest and she you know doesn't think she is a role model because she's not the finished article um and she's not got where she wants to go she kind of kind of thinks that you know if you're if you're a role model you're someone that's achieved what you want to have achieved but i think you know the fact that she's got a british empire medal and uh has won the Rosalind Awards and things like that show show the kind of impact that she's having she's a really exciting young coach, got her UA for B is hoping to do her UA for A at some point and has been handed to the uh, top job at uh, Solihull uh, ladies and what's interesting is that she's still at the same time is coaching the under 9 boys uh, the under sixteens. Uh, she's doing technical coaching with the under 13s. You know, she's she's a young asian coach that just loves coaching uh and uh she's battled racism she's battled sexism but her absolute love for the game has kept her going through it all and yeah no so she's uh she's really really like enjoyable to talk to she laughs a lot which is really nice and uh I think that she's going, to, yeah, she's going to be a great head coach, and I, I think it'd be it'd be good to get down to uh, up from London, uh, to Solihull at some point to uh, to see her in action. She's done a lot of really good work with the boys' youth teams there, um, and it's uh, really earned this step up, which is is really great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then reading the story, there's obviously a moment where. The first time she trains the, the group of boys, they don't they don't they're not giving her respect. But then she earns the respect, and they actually tell people off for trying to give her abuse from distance afterwards. So it's a nice way that uh, she's overcoming uh, difficulties and obviously um, making the positive out of them, and that's that's great to see. Moving on now to looking at differences between media in the men's and women's game. We touched on this in, la- in the last episode. Rich, is there anything which we missed? You thought that uh, we we should talk about?
2: There was a lot of discussion last week obviously about do we change anything, do we do anything different? But I don't think there's anything we can change. It's kind of the way it is and I think it's probably the attitudes maybe from both sides that have to change. I think no. we in the media just have to accept that, you know, we're in a job where we are going to upset people. We don't want to. You know, it's not nobody ever wants to upset anyone, especially fans. But you know, you are going to write, whether it's transfers, whether it's opinions, whether it's criticism of players or managers, etc. You mean you have to do it
1: every now and again.
2: And I think fans just have to accept that that's our job, you know, and I heard Molly talking about her job specifically, and I mean, I'm quite fortunate that I'm a feature writer. My job doesn't rely on, you know, big transfer scoops and things like that, but if Molly or Susie or Katie or someone got a a big story and they withheld it for fear of, you know, backlash from the fans or what fans might think and their editor found out they'd held a story back that somebody else published in a different newspaper, they'd get sacked, you know, so it's as simple as that really, you know, they've got jobs to do, we've all got jobs to do and, you know, there's always going to be a bit of a conflict of interests between media, between fans, between clubs, between players and, I think we all just have to kind of accept it a little bit.
0: Sophie Lawson, obviously the editor at uh Woso Vavil, a well known name to a lot of uh, women's football fans. She's someone who goes to would would obscure be the best word, Rich, for places that she goes to. <laughs> yeah. I had to go at her
2: earlier today, actually, because she's not going to obscure places anymore. She's going to watch the USA, so
3: she's, <laughs> she's gone mainstream. <laughs> she's it's a,
0: that. It's, a, it's about time to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> She obviously put, um, I think it was last week, she put up a bit about how there's not enough criticism in the women's football. And I think Kieran touched on this uh, last time out as well. It, it, as the game becomes more professional, we need to get more criticism of on a professional level. Susie, do you agree?
3: There, there's there's always a little bit of a fear and a hesitancy in, in women's football to, to report on the, the kind of not-so-pretty stories because you don't want to bring the game down. You don't want the... the the negative stories to be the big breaking news above above the positives. You know that it could have a negative impact on the game. But for me, it, it's almost the opposite effect. In that, if you don't report on those kind of it, on those kind of things, how will the game ever change for the better? Um, you know, how will it ever become the game that we want it to be? So, you know, I kind of I think I think criticism is actually really important for making it better and helping shape it. In, in terms of criticism for, on of, of journalists, I actually really enjoy it because I like arguing my point. Um, it, it helps helps me clarify it. Um, if I if I can defend it, then it, then then I know that I'm I'm on the right track. If I can't, then I know I'm I'm kind of barking up the wrong tree a bit. Uh, but it, it tests you um, and it, it makes you a better journalist if you're if you're tested regularly and and criticised regularly. So, like you can't please everyone all of the time. It's, it's impossible. I've got no problem with irritating, but when I pissed off the whole of Wales with, uh, with my stuff on uh, where they should be playing on the Wales-England game. You know, people kept asking, all oh, it are taking a, a lot of flack, that you were right. And I was like, actually, I, I kind of enjoy it because I sort of wrote it with the intention of it of it kicking up a bit of a fuss and creating a bit of a, a buzz around a game that may not have much attention generally, um, necessarily and also I like the arguing because it, it helps me kind of think of new ways to defend my argument um so yeah I yeah I think criticism of the game and criticism of journalists are both healthy things
0: yeah I think I, I would agree um I think obviously Chris do you want to go on a point there
1: yeah I was just gonna say I was thinking about this um you know we, we obviously mentioned it we've mentioned it on on both shows now and you know, I think I think having having that respect for the game as well, and and respect for the people who are talking about the game. If you've got if you've got um, journalists working for newspapers, freelance journalists who are doing match reports, who you know, and uh, for example, the the Blues Bristol game this weekend. If if you if you read the paper and if you, if you saw the game, and then you opened the paper the next day, or or opened a website and 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 the reporter was raving about the the quality on on display and you know and how wonderful women's football is this that and the other then i think potential of losing a little bit of respect for the game and the people who talk about the game so you have to be honest at the end of the day you know i know, I know we've certain players in in the WSL recently haven't been happy about the criticism they've they've been receiving but if your team is conceding awful goals week in week out there's no point beating around the bush and, and saying they're trying hard and you know I'm, I'm sure they are trying hard but you know there's no point in saying that you know that they'll turn it around that they're doing really great things if if they're not and they can improve then you know that's that's where hopefully you know the the people who are who are doing the match reports and the journalism they say these things like Susie said it's going to upset some people um, but that's the only way you sort of gain gain respect in the game actually because if you if you say everything's hunky dory and it isn't, then then nothing's gonna change.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, Rich, do you want to add anything before we leave?
1: Um I mean I heard
2: I think I I can't remember if it was Kieran or Muller, I think it was Kieran speaking about obviously criticism and you know, are you too close to players or too close to managers and clubs and, and the FA and whatnot in women's football but... I don't know how Susie feels or how anyone else feels, but for me it's strange because actually I probably feel more comfortable criticising people the closer I actually get to them because Mm. they they know you and they trust you. And, you know, if I have to criticise Nick Cushing or I had to criticise Mark Skinner, I kind of think, well, they know me. You know, they've known me a long time. They know what kind of person I am, what kind of journalist I am. And, you know, if you have to say something bad and you know, particularly in Man City, there's been many times I've criticized their lack of goals in big games, especially at the start of this season, and you sort of feel a little bit more comfortable doing it, really. And so I, I don't buy that people think that in women's football can't be critical because you know people too well or things like that, because actually for me, it's probably the other way around.
3: I agree. Uh one of the things that um that I always think is interesting is is people make this criticism of the women's game, but a lot of men, male journalists are very very friendly with with players and managers and things and mm. criticize them week in week out. You know they're friends with them. You know all the ones are criticizing Wenger. They're all mate. They all are. You know absolutely loving face to face. You know it's it's a complete different story. Or you look at Moose um, on the radio who's snapping his selfies with a player every other day and happy birthday messages and things. That's having good contacts. Um, that's vital to being a good journalist. And I completely agree with Richard's point about, you know, the, the closer you are, the more able you are to criticise. I think, I think if anything, a decent manager and a decent player will be making those own criticisms of themselves um, yeah. and will be able to relate to them. And if they can't, if they think that, that, you know, you've made an error, if you've got that relationship, they can turn around and say, oh, you said this, but actually, you know, what if I said this to you? And it just, yeah, it's having that relationship uh, and being challenged and tested is, is what, makes you, what makes you a good journalist.
1: You know, if these players and managers want to be in, you know, uh, a, a more professional environment, a more professional league where they're getting the, the recognition that they feel they deserve, they need to they need to understand that this criticism is going mm-hmm. to come towards them. Um, and they, they can't just get away with, with people staying nice try every week. Because that's 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 not going to grow the game. That's not going to get people through the gates.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's a good place to end it for tonight. I would like to thank Rich Laverty for joining us once again. Have you enjoyed it, Rich?
1: Always a pleasure, Craig. You know me. Thank you very much. And was just su- just trying to imagine uh, 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 Rich criticizing anything Nick Cushing did. Uh, just a <laughs> just a nice thought. <laughs> I used to do some more of my work in <laughs>
0: So Someone scuffed the plaque on Phil Neville's seat at, at the at the uh, Academy Stadium. That might be why.
1: <laughs> oh, that's it, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and thank you very much to Susie Rack for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you on the show for the first time, Susie. Thanks for having me.
3: Uh, definitely have it on again when you
0: want. Thanks very much. And thanks to Chris. Thanks again, Chris. Thank you very much. And that's all that we have time for, as I said. So thanks for everyone who's joined us. Remember to listen to the other Role, um, the Media Play uh, podcast, which was a couple of weeks ago, episode 49. And of course, the FA Cup special, episode 50, the big 5-0, which happened last week. So thank you very much for joining us. And remember, keep right on. And that was the Great Sense 68 podcast. To listen to future shows or listen back to our previous ones, go to iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you may use. And search for Greats in 68 and subscribe today. Thanks for listening and remember, keep right on! Keep right the end of the road Keep right until-